you would join me in welcoming one of our executive pastors, Wilson Cochran, to give us the message today. Morning. Good morning. All right. Turning it on helps it amplify. Um, all right. Good morning. Good to see you guys. We're going to start with a quick update from uh, some missionaries uh, from our church, Nick and Jocelyn Hunter. They are uh, awesome family who's been a part of the church pretty much from the very beginning. Um, Nick and both of his older sisters have all been on staff at the church. And uh, Nick and his wife, Jocelyn, have now been in Australia and Uganda for the past like seven months. Now they're going to India for five months as uh, Jocelyn is completing a youth with a mission YWAM school all about midwifery. And she's doing midwifery um, on the mission field. So it's really cool. And um, we love them a lot. We have an update for you guys to see about how it's going for them. Hey Vineyard fam, Nick and Jocelyn here. Hi from Perth, Australia. Happy New Year, we really miss you guys. We had a great three months in Uganda. We saw God do a lot of miracles, a lot of babies raised from the dead, but we also had a lot of challenging times, um, a lot of really intense seasons. And so we're back here in Australia just processing what God did, debriefing, and we're getting ready for India. We're going to be in India for five months, mm. where I'm going to deliver a lot more babies. Nick's going to continue grad school online, and we're so excited for all that God is going to do. Thank you for all your love and support. Yeah, guys. Thanks for your prayers. Thanks for your support. We love you, and we miss you so much. Bye. Bye. All right. So... Let's pray for them, but before, there's two things I want to comment on that video. First, how nonchalantly Jocelyn mentioned that they've raised a lot of babies from the dead. That's pretty cool, right? That's just, I guess, a normal part of being a midwife out on the mission field. Um, heard some of the stories. I'm sure when they're back, they'll share, so that's really cool. Second thing is Nick's beard. Um, I told him I was growing a beard, and he didn't have one, and then I see this video, and... No, so let's pray for them really quick. My beard is better. Jesus, no. Jesus, thank you so much for Nick and Jocelyn and their, their, just, their big yes to you to go and to sacrifice themselves and their time. And we just pray blessing on them. Uh, pray you would just fill their tanks right now as they're resting in Australia emotionally and spiritually. Re-energize them. Bless their connection as a husband and a wife. And uh, we just pray for a really amazing time that no babies would be lost that the whole time Jocelyn is delivering in Uganda, but there'd just be tons of miracles, tons of salvations. And I even just bless the people in this room who are called to missions and people who are called but don't even know it and aren't aware of it. Just stir our hearts, God, to go to the mission field and to bring your kingdom and your light into um, all at corners of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the title of my message today is Perceiving Jesus. I actually just got back from Nepal a couple weeks ago. I went with one of my really good friends named Micah. Now there's two people on staff at this church named Micah. It was neither of them, but another guy named Micah Level, who's just a great friend of mine. He invited me to go with him uh, on a trip to Nepal where we were building a house with Habitat for Humanity. So it was really cool. 
Um, it's the first kind of like humanitarian type work or trip I've ever done. So that was a new experience. Uh, we, we dug the foundation of a house for a family who'd lost their house in the earthquakes in 2015. Um, it's crazy. I mean, they're just dirt poor. I mean, literally, like, dirt poor make, I think, $700 a year is what they live on as potato farmers. And he told us, his name was Concha, the guy's name. He told us the whole story of being in the field farming. He didn't speak English. It was all through a translator. When the uh, earthquake happened, he ran home, found his house collapsed, and rescued his family pulled his uh, wife and two children out of the rubble and, and saved their lives. So it was just like mind-boggling. Um, one really quick thing that he told us was his whole community, they're all farmers, and what they do is they don't all have their own farming equipment, and they don't hire outside labor to work their farms. So we were, trying to under, we were asking them, how do you guys do it? And what they literally do is they take turns. The village takes turns on different people's crops, Everyone works on one crop together, this guy's field, and then they take the equipment and the manpower and they go to the next person's field and they get all the benefit and they make all the money from it. They're just like, wow, that is like the polar opposite of how we view life in the West <laughs> and in the States, you know, and don't get me wrong, like, I like having some level of independence. I'm glad I don't have to go to work with all you guys for half the year and do your job and then you come and do my job or whatever. But I think there's something really powerful about, about and, and something noteworthy about dependence on one another. And there's something healthy about that that really spoke to me. But that's neither here nor there. Um, on the trip, I was with that good friend I was saying about Micah. And Micah is super passionate for Jesus. He shares, he's just constantly sharing the gospel with people. Um, is really awesome. He's a guy I look up to and I'm spurred on by. And it's cool when you get around someone like that because it personally turns, kind of like stirs you and reminds you that you haven't arrived and there's more for you to do and there's more for you to go after. And so we were talking a lot about um, our, what we've been reading in the Bible. And this theme that him and I both have been, that's been popping out to us is this idea of recognizing Jesus everywhere in life. And perceive, and like, like how I'm calling it today, is perceiving Jesus. So noticing his presence, noticing him as a person in all areas. Not limiting it to like coming to church on Sunday or just a, like your quiet time in the morning or something like that. But having this heart that is aware that he's a real person, that he's alive, that he has emotions, that he loves you, that he wants to interact with you. And then then attempting to perceive him and recognize him throughout your day, through your events and through people, and just, just really calling to attention that he's real, you know? And that's what I want to talk about now. And I have a passage that uh, is really cool. It's not, I wouldn't say it's obscure, but maybe to some of you guys, it'll be the first time you hear it talked about. But this passage, I think, really opens up this whole idea of perceiving Jesus and recognizing Jesus. So before I jump into it, let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you're generous and that you're so generous that you sent Jesus to earth. And thank you, Jesus, for volunteering and for being willing to come and to cohabit and to become a man and to show us what life could be like, to restore us and to give us a highway and a way of getting back into relationship with you. We just say thank you for that right now. And I pray for anybody in the room who doesn't have that relationship with you. You begin to stir their heart. I just tell you you're here for a reason this morning. And I just bless you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want, turn with me to Luke 24. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. But um, we're in Luke 24, and we're doing this whole chunk, verses 15 through 35. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all at once. We'll kind of read a chunk, talk about it, read another chunk, talk about it, read the last chunk, talk about it. And this, what this story is called is The Road to Emmaus. A lot of your Bibles, that, that will be the title for it. So what's happening is there's these two guys that are on a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to another town called Emmaus. Imagine walking from here to like Winton Woods. That's about seven miles. So it's not like walking from here to, you know, like Northgate Mall or something. This is a kind of a journey they're going on. Take like a couple hours or whatever. And what they're doing is they're two followers of Jesus. They're two guys who are disciples of Jesus. They weren't in his inner circle of 12, but they were probably part of that bigger 70, that, this bigger group that followed Jesus around and was dedicated to him and was um, learning from him. And they're talking about uh, what has just happened in Jerusalem. And what just happened was Jesus was crucified, and there's rumors going around now that he raised from the dead. So that's where we pick up, all right? Luke 24, starting in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? All right, so we're going to pause right there. I love this story. We're going to go on. You're going to see it's really neat because we get to see, we can take so much from it because they didn't know it was Jesus and they're having to interact with him. And how many of you can relate to that? Sometimes you live life and it's like only in hindsight that you realize, wow, that was a God encounter. That was Jesus there. So there's all these cool things that we can pick up from it. But as well, Jesus acts kind of quirky in this passage. Maybe like even a little bit like mischievous, you know? Like he, first of all, he's not invited on this walk, okay? They didn't see a person walking and go, hey, bro, do you want to walk with us? Like, come join us. You know, like he just, he just jumps on in. Like imagine being at the grocery store and all of a sudden someone just comes like, hey, what are you doing? You shopping? What's going on? Can I, can I shop with you? Can I just join you? Seems like you're having an important conversation, but I'd really like to interrupt you and uh, ask you questions. Is that okay? Like, what, what would we call that? Rude, <laughs> right? I'd be like, uh, no, excuse me, thank you. But check it out. Jesus doesn't have the same societal distinctions, the same societal boundaries that we have today, okay? Jesus was willing to interrupt them. This tells me two things. First of all, we need to be interruptible by Jesus. We need to be willing to be interrupted by him. Like, look, I am all for being on time, okay? I really like being on time, and I don't like when other people are on time. But what if that's actually not the most important thing always? What if there's times where Jesus, whoever said praise Jesus, you better be an on-time person, okay? <laughs> If you're not on time for it, and I'm just going with you. Um, look, what if there's just a whole life we're missing out on by feeling obsessed with timeliness? 
Timeliness is good, and it's really honoring the people to be timely. But my goal in life is to honor Jesus and to be someone who follows his presence and follows his lead above everything else. So like that needs to be our chief value. And then when we put other things in line under it, okay? I'm not saying don't be on time for our meeting, all right? But if you have a good reason, it's okay. So no, he, he, that's one thing to take is that Jesus is interruptible. He interrupted them and it was okay with him. Another thing is it means we shouldn't feel so worried about interrupting other people. And I think this especially applies to evangelism. How many of us just feel like it's just kind of rude or awkward? Why would I go talk to that person who's going about their day? Why would I go jump in? Like, I don't want to bother them. How many of you know that the good news of Jesus Christ is a good thing to bother people with? Now, I'm not saying that you should be a bother, <laughs> and that is possible. Christians have a reputation of it, but we don't need to have that, okay? I don't think, like, I know you guys. I know so many of you. I love so many of you. I love all of you. And I know that our hearts are not obnoxious, religious spirit Christians that want to go preach at people. So we don't need to assume that people are going to think that about us. We can go with a light heart into interactions and be like, hey, I just want to ask you a question real quick. Or we can interrupt people for the sake of Jesus, okay? We can interrupt people with the gospel. People need to be interrupted with the gospel so they don't go to hell. Just being real, you know, like, and they also need to be interrupted with it so they can have a personal relationship and a fulfilling life here on earth by having a life-giving union with Jesus. So we have permission in a kind and honored way to interrupt people with the gospel. Now, I, I think it's also interesting that Jesus asks them a bunch of questions. Jesus knew the answer to these questions, right? But what he's doing is he's inviting them into relationship. You see, Jesus wants an active living relationship with us. And what he'll do sometimes is he'll ask us questions to engage us on that level. And what I've come to learn is that when Jesus asks me a question, it's actually an invitation. If Jesus asks you a question, it's an invitation into a revelation of him. He's, he's wanting to show you something you don't know. He's giving you an opportunity for there to be give and take, you know? He doesn't just want to listen. He doesn't just want to talk. He wants you to talk and to listen. He wants to talk and to listen. It's a dynamic thing having a relationship with Jesus. It's a real thing. All right, let's keep going uh, to the next section, starting in uh, picking back up in 19. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. So I think this is really cool because Jesus is giving them the chance to kind of like share the gospel with him. <laughs> you know? Like, they're about to be sent out into the whole earth to share the good news that Jesus died, resurrected, the Holy Spirit's here, he can fill you, you can have life, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, let me hear from them what they're going to go share to people and see, see if it works out, see if it's right. And they kind of miss it a little bit. 
They call him a prophet, mighty in deed and word. You see, this was, that phrase, mighty in deed and word, was a really common um, way that rabbis described prophets. They said they were mighty in deed, miracles, and word, prophecies. So basically what they're saying is, it turns out that this Jesus guy we thought was going to redeem all of Israel was just a prophet. He wasn't the savior we were looking for. He was just a prophet. That's kind of what they're teetering with thinking. But then they get to the end of the conversation. They're like, but these women um, that are our friends, they went and they say that Jesus' body is gone and that angels came to them and said that he's alive. And so we're kind of like lost. We don't know what to think now. That's like, that's like what they're sharing with Jesus. And we pick back up. Now, now let's pick up in 25. When Jesus jumps back in, he says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So their eyes are opened, but not until after Jesus actually opens up the scripture to them and shares with them all of this insight that the whole book is actually about him. You know that there's three, more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, which is the portion of scripture that these guys would have access to about Jesus and about a Messiah. 300 different prophecies. 19 of them are actually about the crucifixion and resurrection. 19 of them are actually about the very thing they're stumbling over and they're confused about. And then to make it even like matters worse for them, three times at least that's recorded Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to die. After three days, I will raise from the dead. So like, they, there's no reason that they should be at this point of total confusion and total loss. They have it all right out in front of them. But what they were missing was reading it with Jesus. You see, the scripture is useless to us if we're not reading it with Jesus and partnering with him and trying to actually see him in the scripture. And Jesus knew this, so he's enlightening them. He's bringing clarity to them. Now, I think the two verses here that are, are so key that frame the whole passage are verse 16 and verse 31, all right? But before we actually look at those, so you can take those down real quick. Before we look at those, I want to play a quick game with you guys, okay? I have five movie clips that I want to see if you guys can identify. Now, here's this trick. Well, you're not going to be able to see them. You're only going to be able to hear them, all right? So we're going to have five movie clips played and just the audio, and then I want you to shout out if you recognize what it comes from, all right? 
Are you ready, Alec? These aren't hard, okay? These are not hard. Go ahead, Alec, play the first one. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. All right, so who all knows that one? Okay, let's play the next one. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Anakin, may the force be with you. May the force be with you, Master. May the force be with you both. All right, so everyone said that one too. Here's another that's, I think you should get it too. Who knows that one? Good, good. You're Christians. All right. Number four. Stay here. I'll be back. Hasta la vista, baby. Arnold, get you the chopper. Terminator. All right. One more. Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What? What's that? All right. So, check it out. There's many of you that knew every single one of those. They recognized all five. Some of you guys maybe didn't recognize all five, but I guarantee, well, did anyone not recognize even one? Okay. Like three people. So you don't even count. Everyone, everyone in this entire room, no, I'm just kidding. Everyone recognized all those, but you didn't see it. You just heard it. You were able to recognize it, not with your eyes, but with another way. Pull up uh, verses 16 and 31 now, please. These are the two key passages, the two key verses that frame the whole purpose, I think, of this story. Verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So this isn't a case of mistaken identity, okay? It's not like the sun was in their eyes and they just couldn't quite see, make out Jesus, you know? Like it wasn't like they, they thought it was someone else. They just literally, or no, they did. They thought it was someone else. They literally could not, supernaturally, they were kept from being able to recognize him. Now, this would have been challenging for them because the only way they had ever learned to recognize Jesus was by seeing him. Like, none of us have that benefit, right? I mean, not a lot of us. Most of us have never seen Jesus, right? I never have, but I'm still called to recognize him. It was the inverse for these guys. The way that you recognize Jesus was he walked in the room and you're like, that's Jesus, he healed somebody. Like, that's how his followers, that's how the people, his contemporaries, recognized him. And now they're being commissioned, they're being assigned with going and sharing um, him with the world and recognizing him and having an ongoing relationship with him. But the trick is, they can't see him anymore. So he's preparing them. He's preparing them for a life of perceiving him without seeing him. That's the life we live. We're called to perceive and to know Jesus, but we don't get to see him much, okay? <laughs> it's funny. We, we're in a church with so much supernatural activity that there are people here who've had vision of Jesus and stuff like that. That's really sweet. But a lot of us, we live a life where we have to perceive Jesus with our heart. It says in Ephesians um, 1, 18, here's, here's how it puts it. Paul 
Paul prays, here's how Paul puts it. Paul prays that he says that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The eyes of our heart, the eyes of our heart enlightened. In 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 7, here's, here's how Paul puts it again. We walk by faith and not by sight. What Jesus is doing, he's training them in this moment, on this walk, to recognize him with their spiritual eyes. Recognize him from their heart and not from seeing him in the natural. This is something, this is a thing we have to actually steward and cultivate to get good at. And I just want to affirm you and say that all of us already do this. Okay, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you already are, per- are um, perceiving him with the eyes of your heart. That's why you're here. That's why you're in this room. You've had an experience with God. There's things that he has done in your life that you can't deny, blah, blah, blah. But if we don't steward it, we can't bless other people with it. If we don't steward the ability and we don't intentionally try and develop this perception in our heart of seeing God work, of knowing him moving, then we can't actually bring overflow and benefit into other people's life. When I was in Nepal, it was really cool. Um, our driver, his name was Bibi, and he was a Hindu. And he, you know, he, he drove us an hour to and an hour from. So we were in the car with him two hours every day um, going to the work site. And like the third or fourth day, we stopped at this rest stop. It was like kind of overlooking... Um, like a Himalayan mountain range, basically. So we're like this breathtaking landscape. Honestly, we wanted to try the Nepali rum, okay? And uh, we were at this restaurant. We got some beef pot stickers, and we were trying the rum. And our server, we're like sharing with him. We're trying to get to know him, but he doesn't really speak good English. And so we get the wild idea, wild idea, let's try and speak in tongues to him and see if it'll get interpreted in Nepali, and, you know, worst case scenario, he just thinks we're speaking some other language. So, like, nothing to lose, really. So we do it, three of us, and didn't work. He's just even more confused. But <laughs> then we actually figure out that he is a Christian and that he actually, he actually has a relationship with Jesus. You see, in Nepal, in 2010, in their census, the nation, 1% of the population identified as Christian. In 2016, 10% in their census, identify as believers, as born-again Christians. And that's just the people that identify as Christians. So God's really moving in a really dark Hindu nation. Find out he's a Christian. We pray for him, and God's presence just comes on him. He starts to cry, and he's kind of trembling. And he's just, it's pretty radical. He's getting baptized in the Holy Spirit just right there in the restaurant. Well, our driver witnesses this whole thing. And he's just like, white-eyed and doesn't know what to make of it. We get in the car. We're talking to Bibi about it. And Bibi speaks pretty good English. And um, he said, you know, my uh, sister just became a Christian. And we're like, wow, that's so cool. He's like, yeah, my sister's whole family is Christian. And then he says, you know, I think in one year or two-year maximum, I will become a Christian. <laughs> and we're just like, no, bro, today. Like, you should be a Christian today. And he's like, all right, I'll be a Christian today. And so we just finish sharing with him, and he prays and dedicates his life to Jesus. He gets born again right there in his car. Um, yeah, it's so amazing. Micah's in the front. Micah just leads him through a simple prayer. He's feeling God's presence. The next day, we get in his car, and he has a picture of Jesus taped to his steering wheel. 
And he's just like totally, and, and so Micah, who I went has been following up with him and kind of disciplining him a little bit, but really encouraging him to get with his family. But what happened was we perceived Jesus. BB perceived Jesus. He saw God's presence, and it catapulted him. It stirred him into wanting more. And it starts with our ability and us stewarding a heart that's saying, hey, where are you moving, Jesus? I want to perceive you. I want to know you. I want to recognize where you're working. It's, it's, it's orienting our mind to have a supernatural worldview. It's being intentional about believing there is more going on than what I can taste, touch, feel, see, hear, and smell. There's more happening. Christianity is a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural um, way of life. So we see that it can have life-changing impact on others. Okay, And that's one of the reasons we want to be able to perceive Jesus. I want to tell you some more stories about that. But first, I just want to bring it kind of back applicable to us. It has a life-changing impact on us to be able to perceive Jesus. In this passage, when Jesus comes up on these guys, they're sad. It literally says that they looked at him with, they stood still looking sad. Then they have an encounter with Jesus. Their hearts burn. They, they're around the king of the universe, the Lord Almighty. And what's their reaction? They jump up and do that seven-mile hike right away again and go back to Jerusalem. Boom, right away. Their emotions are changed because they establish connection with God. Man, our emotions are fed. Our life is fed by our connection with Jesus, by our heart's ability to perceive him, to have intimacy with him, intimacy with him, to spend time with him. Some of the simple things is slowing down, spending time just in quietness and solitude. That's one of the ways that we are able to perceive Jesus. Spending time reading your Bible. I'm going to talk about that more later. Worshiping him on your own, getting, getting alone at home and turning on your favorite worship music and just spending time worshiping. Journaling. These are all things we do to calibrate our hearts and to get us in a place where we can perceive Jesus and our emotions are being more influenced by the unseen and by, by Jesus than our circumstances going on around us. We're living from a connection with God and not the connection we have to the earth. That's how we're useful to earth is when we live with a connection to heaven. And that's what's driving us and that's where our security and that's where our decisions are coming from. So I want to talk more about how, how it has a life-changing impact on others. 38% um, of Americans in a, in a Gallup poll in 2013 said that they have done something in their life because they felt like God told them to do it. That's a pretty cool statistic, I think. That's more than I would have guessed, right? Like, if we pay attention to the media and Facebook and stuff, we think, oh, our nation hates God, blah, blah, blah. But dude, our nation is ripe for a massive revival of people who are perceiving Jesus and following his presence. One of the guys I went to Nepal with, his name is Nick, and he's a police officer up in the Dayton area, a kind of rougher area of Dayton. And he has all these really cool stories of how he's taken the prophetic in God's voice and perceiving Jesus and just slipped it right into his life as a police officer. You see, like, pr the prophetic isn't a thing just for when we're at church and there's a ministry time and Robbie Dawkins says, pray for one another. You know, like, that's a, this is practice. That's why we come here is to practice and get that sharpened. But it's actually for outside of these walls so that we can reach and love the world around us. So Nick, one morning he comes into work and they say, we have a bolo. Police speech, I'm just learning. 
some police speech. So who knows what a bolo is? Anybody? All right, a couple of you. I'm going to tell everyone else. A bolo is be on the lookout. All right, so now you know. Bolo, be on the lookout. He comes into work, and there's a bolo for a kidnapping, a girl who's been kidnapped, a 12-year-old girl. And the only information they have is she was taken from her home in blank city, which was 45 minutes away from him, okay? Uh, Yeah, 45 minutes away. All they know is she's taken from her home 45 minutes away by someone named Mike, and he has a black truck. All the information, young girl, um, 45 minutes away, black truck, Mike. That's all they know. And so obviously, we know this, that whenever there is a, um, like a kidnapping or something, everywhere around is notified. All the police aren't, everyone's supposed to be looking. So Nick hears about it, and he just feels this rush of like focus and energy that he is going to and that he needs to find this girl. So he goes, jumps in. Nick has done two tours in Iraq. He's a wild guy, really awesome dude. Um, And he just jumps in his car and he starts driving around his city looking for her. And he feels like God starts to lead him. He said he starts to feel like God said, turn right here. So he turns right. And he ends up in this kind of like random area of town that he had no reason to be in. There was absolutely no reason for him to go there. He feels like God says, take another right. He takes another right. Take another right. Takes another right. And he's flying down this street and flies by a black truck. Goes in reverse, runs the plates, and it comes back to a mic. Doesn't call back up. Goes, bangs on the front door and says, are you, a man answers, and he goes, are you Mike? And he goes, yeah. And he says, where's the girl? Wow. Guy hangs his head. He, he says, in the back. Slams against the wall, cuffs him, takes him back, breaks down the back door, and finds this girl who'd been kidnapped the day before. Wow. Isn't that awesome? He was perceiving Jesus. Okay? He had a heart that said, I want to follow your leading, Lord. Whatever you say, like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. Just these simple nudges that all of us have. And he was following them. He was letting them lead him. And like, such an amazing story. I just, I love that story so much. He has all kinds of stories like that, though, of how he's applied following, perceiving Jesus, perceiving God's presence into his workplace. He has the largest drug bust in all of his city's history just by following a hunch from God on somebody. Literally. Like, we can take this idea of following God's presence into all areas of our life, into your life as a parent, into your workplace, um, driving the kids to soccer practice, whatever it is, when we have a heart that's sensitized to God and we're trying to follow his leading, he, it's, it's a recipe for the kingdom to break in and for lives to change and for life and hope and healing to come. I'm in the airport in Kathmandu, and I'm, our flight is just about to be called, so I'm going to run to the bathroom really quick. And I walk by this young guy, and I just feel like a prompt, like I need to talk to him. I need to share Jesus at the door with him. I need to share this gospel presentation called Jesus at the Door that a guy named Scott just came and taught our church a couple months ago. But I'm like, but I don't want to go to the bathroom in an airplane. What do I do? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to this guy. I'll just use the little dinky toilet. And I come back. I'm like, hey, bro, have you ever seen this picture before? And do you ever pray? And I begin to just share the simple gospel message with him that Jesus loves him. Jesus is here. He wants a relationship with you, da, 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 da. And his eyes get huge. He's my age. His name is Sagar. And he pulls out his phone, shows me his social media. And he has all these Bible verses about Jesus. But he's a Hindu. And he just doesn't understand who Jesus is. 
but he loves like Western, the West so much in America that he's like watched all these shows and he has all this exposure to Jesus, but no one's ever shared with him like a clear gospel message so that he could say yes and accept Jesus into his life. You know, there's tons of people like that all over us. We have to go, okay? Take a mission trip. Like there's people that need to hear the gospel. And right there, he prays to receive Jesus, repent, give, leave Hinduism, give his life to Jesus, and he gets saved right there on the spot. And I, I'm praying, yeah, come on, Jesus. And it was just amazing. But it was all because I followed that little nudge. I, I have, a, I was, I'm trying to cultivate this heart that's perceiving God, that's sensitive to him, and I let it lead me. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I share with him. Now, yesterday, I'm down at Finley Market, went to this, my wife and I got pizza and, um, I'm leaving, and I'm walking by our server, and I just feel that same prompt. Like, I, I want to share with him. And so I, I keep walking, <laughs> because I'm not like, you know, just, I didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to talk to him. Felt a little nervous, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of stopped. I was like, what am I doing? Like, why? Why not just go back? There's nothing I have to lose except for overcoming this little fear moment. So I turn around, I go back, and I get to share the entire gospel with him. He's super receptive. He said he was raised in church. This was really interesting, blah, blah, blah. He wasn't ready to make a decision for Jesus right in that moment, but I got to plant that seed. And here's the thing. What happened in the airport in Kathmandu and what happened yesterday at Finley Market, they are both equally a success to me. Because what I'm responsible for is obeying Jesus. I'm not responsible for making things happen. You see, when we make that our mentality about our Christian life, it's obey Jesus, pursue intimacy with him, pursue connection with him. It frees us from performance, frees us from shame. It frees us from the ability to impress and the, or the, the need to impress. And it lets us live a life where we're just for an audience of one. It's like, I just want to please Jesus. I just want to do what he says, and I want to honor him. And this is the key to us changing our environments, is having a heart that says, I want to perceive where Jesus is working. I want to quickly go for it. And then I'm going to remember that my job is obedience. We share, and he shakes the tree. That's what Scott says, that we share, and Jesus shakes. So it's important that we, we cultivate that and we're ready for that because it can have life-changing impact on others. Here's what I want to leave you with is just the three things I felt like Jesus left them with. I'm calling them three Emmaus Road tips to perceiving Jesus. Um, first, scripture. That's the number one way we can, that's one of the number one ways, if not the number one way that we can get to know God is through his word and, and studying it and diving in and chewing on it, meditating on it and reading it. And See, their problem wasn't, these guys' problem wasn't that they didn't know scripture. Their problem was they didn't know to look for Jesus in the scripture. What I do is I just treat the Bible like, where's Waldo? And Jesus is Waldo. I'm reading it, I'm just like, where's Jesus in this? If you read the Bible with that heart, you get so much out of it. And it sensitizes you to be a person that is constantly looking for him and orienting your life around his presence and knowing him. Um, second thing he does is communion. You see, he breaks bread with them. And he actually, uh, 
and, and draws them back to the sacrifice he made. And I think even more so, he just has community with them. He has intentional relationship and friendship. We can't uh, skip over how important it is that when we take communion, we're remembering it's a touch point with Jesus and, and how important it is to get around other believers and to spend time in community with them. It's one of the things that stirs our heart for more of God and it keeps us going on the right path is community with other believers. And the third thing, the physical sensation. They sense God's presence. We cannot undervalue experience with God. We can't act like that's just an add-on. The, the primary way that I have grown in my relationship with God is reading the word and experiencing the word. It's those two things, held in tension and, and valued as equally important that I want to know him through his word and I want to know him through real experience. So having that heart that says, I want, I want a manifestation of God's presence and his power in my life. I, I need to be touched by him. I want to weep with sensitivity to his heart and his love. And that's going to stir me into a deeper walk with him and more love with him. We can't undervalue experience in the presence of God. So I just want to end with verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. Now, I don't think that it's he acted as if he were going farther, as in he was like manipulating them. And he was like, I'm going to keep going. Guys, I'll see you. Do you want me to come to dinner? Got any extra food? Like, I don't think that's what it was like. I think it says he acted as if he were going further because all he was really going to do was go just disappear when he was out of their sight. He didn't have any reason to just keep walking somewhere. He wanted to be invited by them. He, it's a two-way street with Jesus. It's not just he forces himself on us. He is inviting you to say yes to him. He was inviting them into pursuit of him. He had just been pursuing them. Now he's inviting them to pursue him. And imagine if they had just left him and let him keep going. If you're here today and you've never opened the door of your heart to Jesus, don't let him walk by. Don't walk out of here today without giving your life to him, giving your heart to him. And if this stirs you another way, decide in your heart now, I'm never going to let Jesus walk by. I'm going to have that, I'm going to, when I perceive him, when I'm out and about, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to go for it. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive the offering. Jesus, we want to perceive you, and we want to know you. That's really, I just want that to be our heart cry this morning. What we meditate on during worship is knowing you, Jesus, perceiving you, having real, legitimate, deep friendship with you. And I pray there just be a release of that over the room right now, that you would stir our hearts and you would calibrate us into a place where we're sensitive to knowing you as a person and knowing your spirit and knowing your presence. We just cry out and we say we are desperate for that, Jesus. We want to know you like that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you could come down to get ready to receive the offering, ushers, that'd be awesome. We're going to receive the offering now. The baskets are at the furthest most left seat in every row. You can just pick that up and pass it on down. Thank you guys for your faithful giving. It's really good, really appreciate it. But now we're going to dive into a time where it's so ripe and it's so easy to perceive Jesus as we worship him. So just put your hands on your heart as we get ready for worship and just say, Jesus, I want to perceive you. I want to know you. Thanks. Let's start by standing.
have a seat anytime while we worship. You can, if you like to dance, the back has more room. I'm not sending you back there, but there's more room back there. You're welcome to come up front to worship as well. God, my God, I cry out. Your beloved needs you now. God, be near. Calm my fear and take my doubt. Your kindness is what pulls me up. Your love is all that draws me in. I will lift my eyes. Yeah. All right. Love worshiping. So good. We're going to end the service now with a um, ministry time. And what that looks like is we have people down at the front ready to pray for any need you have. Um, even just encouragement, if you just want prayer. We really value prophetic ministry. So the team's up here. Love to just hear from God and then share it with you, whatever they feel like they're hearing. Um, and healing prayer, really value that too. So if you have any pain in your body or an injury or a sickness, please come down forward and get prayer. Um, we really want to see God touch you and heal you. So to end the service, though, um, there's a guy from our church, and Michael, who is being deployed to the Middle East here in just a little bit, Michael Niehaus. And if the Niehaus family, if you guys would just make your way down here, come right down here. Uh, we're going to pray for you guys. We just want to bless you. The Niehaus have been a part of the church for like 10 years or so. I've grown up with a bunch of them. Um, but Michael is awesome. He just got married. So him and his wife, Lisa, are down here. Um, yeah. What's that? There you go. Awesome. So we're going to pray for them real quick. But then if you want to come say hi to him and also pray for him after the service, please come down. But Lord, we just bless Michael. Bless Lisa. Thank you for him. Uh, thank you, Michael, for going, bro, for your bravery and courage. Um, we bless you. Just bless your whole unit, and we just pray protection, supernatural protection over you guys. Bless the whole family. Bless Lisa. Just bring peace to her and assurance the whole time. In Jesus' name, bless Stormy and Michael and all of uh, Michael Sr. and all of Michael Jr.'s brothers. Just bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, yeah, let's give it up for Michael. Well, have a great week. Um, come down and say hi to Michael and pray for him if you want to. See you guys later.